Well, hey guys, welcome to another episode of the AltMed podcast. Um, here with my co-host Mitch, and we are delighted to have on the show today. Yeah, g'day, Mitch. How you doing? Um, <laughs> we are so happy to have with us our friend, um, entrepreneur. It's Chad Walkerton from On Tracker. Chad, welcome. Hey, boys. Awesome to be here. Love your work. <laughs> Last time we spoke, I think you were in um, Peru or somewhere around those parts. Where are you at the moment? I flew into Peru two days ago. Yeah, so back down in Peru at the moment, but was in Mexico for six weeks. So I had a three-month trip around Mexico and the US and, yeah, back down in Peru at the moment to ground, clean up a little bit. I had a little bit of a beard, so it was time to, yeah, just focus again and get down to work. You were, uh, you, you were the sort of intrepid traveller look a little bit. I, I won't ask any more questions about that because Mitch and I are in lockdown at the moment and I'm just going to get sad talking about your journey across Central America. Um, so we've got a lot to tackle today. Um, obviously, uh, all the work that you're doing at the moment with the OnTracker app, and we will get to that in a moment. But as is customary on AltMed, we might start by getting you to talk through your journey. It's an amazing story. Um, I'm just going to not say anything more about it and hand over to you. Yeah, cool. I think uh, the, the starting point for this as well is that description of where I was because mm -hmm. I think it's yep. super relevant in this space of what we're talking about and what we may go into as well, pre-existing assumptions, right? That, that like the narrative that can exist around the things that we're, we're going to discuss and mm -hmm really then being able to demonstrate that it's not just a personal story, that there is knowledge behind it and was on the other side and then was able to then be placed in a position where there was the power in the power change and the power dynamics as a patient that then makes you see things through a different lens. And then it's that lens which guides everything at on tracker. So to, to explain that. So where were you? I, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I grew up in Sydney, did Bachelor of Education, Bachelor of Social Work, worked in Department of Human Services. So a lot of background throughout uni and then post-uni, mental health, uh, addictions, counselling, a lot of challenges that people were going through. Went to the UK, worked in frontline child protection, one of the most deprived areas in the UK. So a lot of the work was, was very intense and seeing uh, a lot of different challenges. So a lot of, uh, there were some murder cases that I took on, so some very high profile safety risks. Uh, and drugs and assessment was crucial to that, yeah. And then I got diagnosed with a stage four cancer. So had some symptoms, but nothing that would seem out of the ordinary for living in London or maybe Melbourne during the winter, right? There's like everyone used to be quite crammed mm. together and there was a bit of a cough um, that, I, that I had and a bit of fatigue, but nothing that would suggest that I was going to get a terminal diagnosis. So, yeah, got a terminal diagnosis given under 24 months to live, placed on a pretty heavy chemo, extreme toxicity levels, recovery from surgery, et cetera. You know, yeah, pretty intense. I can keep on going, but let's explore it a little bit, yeah? Mm, very interesting. That's, um, that's, you know, quite a common story, unfortunately, we hear throughout and we see, you know, lots of people coming through the, the cannabis system um, saying, you know, there's... there's there's a wide range of reports and how people respond to that. And you see some people have that type of uh, experience that you've had. And unfortunately we, we see others um, that don't have that positive outcome in the end. And um, I think that brings it back to a lot of, you know, I guess what on tracker is trying to do in terms of um, collect the data to show, you know, why that might be the case in certain 
situations. Is that is that correct? Yeah, and it, and it links back to being in a situation when you're on a cancer ward and everyone's getting four tablets and I'm already like working through all my symptoms and I'm back to work and I'm feeling better and I'm like, hey, I was where you are, not, you know, and just being someone to share a little bit, but the information was so like, oh, like I used to get all the time, Chad's an idiot. You know, Chad, Chad's an idiot. And I'm like when, I'm, now, when people would get diagnosed. You're an idiot. What do you mean? Because um, people would come to me, right? So I, it, before I did on Tracker in the past, I used to work with people with cancer. Uh, or if people had, it's very common that if someone has a family friend or someone going through cancer, they're going to go, hey, call Chad. And I'm, you know, I'm going to make time to have a chat with someone to kind of give them as much sort of support as, as I can. You not give recommendations, but consideration yeah. of X and Y and the reasons are a, B, and C, and refer to different journals or, or different literature that support me mm. to ensure that there's like an evidence base to these people. Um, because like myself and like in the cannabis space, you're vulnerable, right? Yeah. If yeah. you're in pain, do you want to stay in pain or do you want to get out of pain? You desperately want to get out of pain. Yeah, like absolutely. it's desperately you want to feel better. If I've got a child who has seizure disorders, I desperately want my little love, to, like my little dear thing to feel better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with the cannabis space, that desperately is the injustice that's been coming into the industry for such a long period of time um, and is a big contributing factor to, to where we are. And I don't know what you think about that, but no, I, injustice I, I, is massive in the cannabis space, yeah. It is, and it's also, um, and that, that touches on people who are still, you know, maybe to this day sort of saying, well, I, I can't afford to access it legally. And so they, you know, they home grow. Um, there's a lot of these sort of situations and then they might find themselves at the mercy of a, of a criminal justice system when they're mm-hmm. you know, trying to actually have their medicine. Um, I want to just um, unpack one of the things that you touched on. So talk me through, in terms of where you were, I, I just want to get a sense of just how in the thick of uh, cancer treatment you were. So what was a kind of a week in the life like for you back then? What were the side effects from what were you, you know, sort of taking? Were you on immuno drugs? Were you, you know, like yeah. what, what was happening? Cool. Good question, man. Never been asked that. Mm. I, two years, so I virtually had 716 consecutive days on a drug called Mitotane. So a pharmaceutical drug derived from DDT, 1970, no, derived from DDT. And as you know, DDT is a derivative of, no, Sorry, man. Mitotain, which is the derivative of DVT and banned from human consumption in 1972. So that gives you an extent of what I'm kind of putting into my body. And mm-hmm. I was doing that on a daily basis, AM and PM. You know, like yeah. waking up in the morning and you've got these tablets in your, in your hand, you know they get you sick. But you need to take them because you desperately want to live, right? So you're going to do anything that you can. So back then, I already tracked everything, which is how this all came about. Right. So before I got diagnosed, I had nine months of data on myself. I was living in London. I was 29. I wanted to feel and look better and, and get through that London life. You know, there's a lot of, there's a big culture of alcohol in the UK, um, yeah. massive culture of alcohol, right? So mm-hmm. work in frontline child protection, how do you deal with stress? You know, in many ways, you're in a trauma role, you know, coming to a block of flats, and there's a baby with its, with its father having a knife to its throat, hanging it out the window, and you're first on the scene. 
to be able to work with the police and you're pretty young and you're walking up to this and you've got to like game on because you can't arrive at that scene and the police are like who are these two chumps that just came out of uni you've kind of got to get there act part of the team and and do that service but imagine what's going on inside if you're talking about your physiology yeah right it's just like just firing and if you don't have tools to go, well, if you don't have that actual awareness to actually think, well, what's going on inside of me is stress. You may say it in some ways, but there's no true understanding about what's going on. So after that awareness, it's, you know, if there was awareness, then you could go down a different path. But without that, you're like, oh, I go to the pub. So, you know, when I first got diagnosed, do you drink? Oh, <laughs> not really. How many beers do you have? Probably eight to 10 on a Friday night. And that's pints. And then by the third doctor, it's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a massive binge drinker, you yeah. know? So just starting to kind of see that the language was changing. So sorry, yeah, had nine months of data about what I ate and how I moved my body. So yeah. then naturally when my life changed, virtually packed up an apartment in the day and my four years of living in the London just like, Phew, and had to come home. Now there were tests building up to that point, but, there was a unanimous decision from my medical team over there to you need to go home because yeah. of the level of care that's and they knew there was a big it was 20 centimeters by 15 centimeters this tumor that was inside of me um oh, shit so massive and then the surgery that i had i was waking up you know i was for a month i'd wake up every and i'm sorry if this is too gory for some people but i'd wake up every morning and my bed was full of blood you know like because yeah. i was just the wound wouldn't heal um and so then you've got changes to identity as well. You're over there one minute. You are living a fairly good life, traveling through Morocco and surfing through France, mm. going up and surfing in Scotland where there's no one around and there's like a castle from the <laughs> 13th century or something. And you're like, where am I? Um, and then you come back to Sydney and you're the guy with stage four cancer. Yeah. Like That's for a lot of... RPA, wherever. Yeah. It's... Um... Oh, so how, how did you how did you um, end up choosing the data points that you were collecting over that time period? Back then, it started at a very basic level, right? Like, what am I noticing? Hmm. And I'm I known the biggest things that I had were fatigue. The biggest things that I had was like chronic nausea as well. So I would a day in the life. Sorry, it's kind of been a long time to get to this, but day in the life would be wake up in the morning and I had a set breakfast. So at times health for me was like a full-time job. So mm. they told me you're going to die. So what am I going to obsess about? How can I live and how am I going to live? So then I had rules around how I would run my day. So I wasn't allowed any TV, wasn't allowed to watch sport more than two hours a day. So two hours total TV and sport per day, no binging on any shows or anything like that. I'd need to write for an hour and a half a day. I'd need to do exercise um, in the morning or it would be and yoga in, uh, and yoga in the afternoon. And I used to surf a lot. So it was either surf one day and exercise, sleep with fatigue um, and then get up and force myself to do yoga. And I know you're like, that sounds awesome, but this is the, the process is very different because you're waking up and you're so fatigued and you feel so rubbish that there's the very easy option is to just stay in bed, not get changed, not brush your teeth, you know, mm. not get out of your slippers, not get out of a hoodie because you're always cold, mm. knowing that the nausea is there or the nausea is going to kick up and 
as the afternoon comes on and the fatigue. And then their decision is, well, what do I do? Okay, well, I just need to work myself up to get into that gym because regardless if I'm going to crash, at least I'm going to crash with some satisfaction knowing that I've been to the gym and I've worked my body. Right, and if I've done that, I've worked my mind. And if I've done that, I've been able to get some vitamin D. And the vitamin D, if that's going to support my health, well, then it's a win. Like trying to break it down as much as possible to go, what stacks chances of survival? Mm. Right. So, and at the start, it was like, okay, I just need to kind of better document what's going on to me. And there was a curiosity as well. I didn't know where it was going to go, but I kind of early on in my first journal as well that I wrote, I talk about. I don't know where this is going to go and how I'm going to use it. And maybe one day I'm going to be running this. Like I'm back then in my very first time that I'm trying to conceptualize what I'm doing and where I'm at. It's projecting a narrative in the future that my experiences are going to be, are going to be beneficial for others. Mm-hmm. And I think for me and my survival, that purpose, which wasn't about me and isn't about me, but what I can do for others is mm-hmm. what keeps me going. And I think there's a, a lot of people that find themselves, unfortunately, in this this type of position. And I'm just um, wondering for you, you know, that a lot of people are kind of teetering on the edge of alternative medicine. You're always researching different things when you're in that more, uh, how should I say, um, yep. de- desperate state, potentially. Um, yep. how, how did that present itself to you in, in, in your experience? I, do, I break it down to be very simple. Like 50% of it is conventional medicine for me. So like the approach that I have and what I've seen, the best is when there's a combination of the both. So for right. me, it was, I'm going to see my doctor. I'm going to do all the scans that re- that's required. But lifestyle, who's the expert in that, mm-hmm. right? And the, the expert isn't the nurse that's saying, why are you doing fasting? That's not good for you. Just eat anything and, and have that sugar. Like she's not the expert that's going to get me. Think about this, right? If your health is a business and is like, who are you going to recruit to drive those areas of your company? Yeah. So you're going to have someone that comes in and says, food's not really that important. Well, that's very helpful to get early on because you're like, yeah, you're not on my team. Yeah. All right. Who am I going to go for here? Yeah. And yeah, one of the joys of life at the moment is that who can you be influenced by? Mm. You know, if this was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it would be through a book. But now I can have Tim Ferriss talking to me, like as a coach. Yeah. Now I can have, right, from what you boys are doing, now there's information that's available where I can get these minds, Dr. Andrew Huberman, to be able to say, did you know you can sleep better this way? And I'm like, damn, well, this guy knows. So, okay, I'm going to put kind of him on my team. And then it's just going to, compile that all that information together to be like well how do I want to live my life and that was like this initial thing I came up with is in a blueprint so what's your blueprint and mm-hmm. for all of us to optimize it's going to be different yeah. but you need to work out why am I feeling this way yeah and it's and it's part of the um it's the interesting thing you talked about how if you you know in order to have some exercise, which is then good for your mind and good for your vitamin D. There are certain things that you need to do. And I think there's a sort of a compound um, effect that happens when people actually do um, better understand their health and um, take those interventionist steps. And sometimes that intervention might be 
an alternative medicine that helps them to sleep, um, like a CBD oil or something like that. Um, you want to say something, Mitch? I was just going to say that's. I think that's why we see the the integrative medicine space take up cannabis so um, so warmly, if you will, because um, they understand or they have more of a holistic uh, kind of approach to medicine, encompassing all these factors like yeah, you know your your food input, your uh, lifestyle, your sleep cycle, your um, you know alternative medicine and modern medicine. Um, or, you know, not that it's not modern medicine now, but but Western medicine traditional. And I think we've had quite a few uh, doctors and pharmacists come on the show and talk about this idea of adjunct therapies, where you have um, you know your maybe chemotherapy supported by taking a cannabis regimen of some description yeah, to, to treat the nausea that comes from it. Um, and actually, sorry, I, I just, cause you mentioned Tim Ferriss before. Now I got to ask you the Tim Ferriss question about what your routines are at the moment. I know that's a signature one that he would, but no, what, what, what are you doing? At the moment? What, what, what's your morning routines or what yeah. are things that you do to help keep you feeling buzzed and alive and, and just feeling great? Yep. So I have two non-negotiables and I've had two non-negotiables since 2016. So days I get married, doesn't matter, days I go anywhere. And that's an hour of breath work a day. So mm -hmm. 30 minutes on in the morning and 30 minutes off. So I don't do anything until I've done 30 minutes of breath work to bring me onto my day. Then I do cold therapy as well. So at the moment, it's cold showers. So mm -hmm. cold showers, AM and PM, breath work. And that's been the non-negotiable since 2016. Um, sleep. I, I like guard my sleep. So like eight hours a night, pretty regularly. And I can tell you like the last 30 days, I've probably slept like hundred percent of the time, probably like 80, like five out of five sleep, like 82%. Wow. So sleeping very well, always using some sort of cannabinoids as well. So at the moment I'm using a CBDA. That's my third day on a CBDA. So the COAs on this thing are off the charts as well. So I've never had a CBDA before. Uh, so mainly CBG, THCA, high doses of uh, CBDA as well in this, in this mixture that I'm having at the moment. And I'll probably have about 50 milligrams of that. I'm on an extended break from THC. So I haven't had THC in six weeks and I'm doing a three-month break. But during that time, I'll use high doses of CBD. Not high doses, but 75 milligrams to 100 per day. Yep. Uh, so that's kind of like my cannabinoids and then movement. So probably do five days, some sort of training at the gym or to be surfing. So about five days and then try to do everyday yoga, but I'm probably at about four or five days a week. So try to do morning and evening uh, and then mainly plant-based. So eat some meat more as like my social health. So it's pretty boring for my wife. If we're in these amazing places and then I'm always just on the plants. So yep. in the past, I was much more disciplined with that, but predominantly plant-based, but I will every now and then have some like grass-fed meat. Um, fasting quite a lot as well. So I always do a quarterly 72-hour fast. So every three months, I'll stop, reboot and do 72 hours without any food. And that's, yeah, that's probably where I'm kind of sitting at the moment, exploring some other things, microdosing some things at the moment as well. If you want to get into that so yeah just just looking at a range of different options at the moment man that is that's a really good mix that's amazing actually i um yeah the the 72 hour reset every quarter um yeah that's uh that's that's next level i once had a a mate that talked me into to doing that and 
I got through it, but um, it was a challenge. I actually went for five days, um, but it was... Uh, it's hard, yeah. man. Yeah, there's a lot of mental uh, discipline required for that yeah. one. Um, so let's talk. We, we can dive in now. I mean, uh, that now that we have that footing of everything that you had come from, and I would say you, by the sounds of what you've described, you were a very data-driven <laughs> cancer patient, and that has led to on tracker i know that there's been a few little things in between then but if we can talk about your latest project because it's it's really exciting maybe mm. yeah well, give us an overview of on, for the yeah. list of on tracker the platform just can i just one thing just before yeah. we move on yeah, whilst, sure. I, whilst i was data driven i was also mindful of the nocebo effect as well so i didn't want to be loaded with and this is where it's going to kind of sink into what we're saying. If there's only one side of data, that doesn't mean that this isn't good. That just means that we haven't explored it as yet, right? Mm. And there hasn't maybe been funding or there hasn't been attention into it. So for me, like in terms of what I was doing, some of the stuff would have been considered, why on earth would you be fasting? But there's another bulk of evidence, which is like, well, this is what I want to go with. And yeah. so like that personal story of being told never, you know, never Don't being fast. a dad you're never doing any of this yeah. yeah and then trying cannabis and having the first day where i just went i was like what do i need to unlearn that was my question it's like mm. what else have i got so wrong yeah if i need if, if i'm experiencing this and if i'm doing that okay how am i going to unpack how i can make a change and what needs to be done because if i'm going into my doctors and there's beautiful doctors and great people that you know speak that i speak the world of and have a very good relationship with but when it was cannabis it was like you don't need to tell us that you know mm. um and so then if that's me white educated uh studied knows the lingo is researching has a voice but still doesn't have a voice mm. what chance do other people have of advocating for themselves so then it was like okay this is how we're seeing it the injustice that I spoke about before in the States, it's a different, it's, it's a different injustice, but pain, seizure disorders, cancer, mental health, what's all in common? They've been let down by traditional healthcare. Yeah. Fact. Because what they get treated with doesn't take into account the loss, doesn't get into account the changes in sexual health, the changes in finances, the changes in relationships, changes in your mind, identity, what goes on for you, lasting changes. There's, that's not there, you know, for a parent who's got a child with seizure disorders. Every little milestone is a loss. Not, you know, maybe if the child's not having sleepovers. Okay, well, that's something as a parent that I've got to deal with. And sleepless nights and counting these seizures, not knowing where to go, like that's trauma. Yeah. Right? And how is that dealt with? I don't think that's effective. Sorry. So that's... Looking at that and being part of that was like, okay, we, we need a different approach. And everything that I'm going to talk about when the time is right is to be centric because I want to speak equally. Like on track is about changing the three Ps, patients, prescribers, and policymakers. And that's when the data piece comes up, yeah? Because the flow of information, credible third-party information to be able to say, this is how people were currently, were being seen before, for example, right? There were a thousand patients with a baseline of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And we studied them according to this. They use this. 
and these were the outcomes, then making a comparison and saying, in the other cohort, what we saw was the same and these were the results. Then as the public, as an individual, then it's a choice to say, well, with this information, which isn't just hearsay, this is real data to be able to guide my decision-making, what decision am I going to make to feel my best and improve my chances of living better for longer? And that's what On Track is doing, collecting information, supporting people to stay on track, getting information that they're doing on themselves to kind of give them feedback first and foremost and giving them the data so they're empowered with their decisions and then collecting that, you know, obviously in a way which protects privacy. And that's something the three of us spoke about on that call. And we enable like what's called ghost mode. So individuals, no personal information is contributed, like can be attached to them Mm. and having this information Mm. at a wide group to then be able to make changes. Mm. And that's like the goal of changing policy. But then also the application for companies, like say you got a new product and you're going to put it on the market. This is an easy one. You can put it onto the market and what are you going to be relied by boys? Mm. Like what metrics are you going to see? You're going to see sales. What else are you going to see? What do you look at and what do the companies look at? New market. I mean, I look at I look at what the existing competitors are doing. Um, I look at other products, but yeah, I'm 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 looking at that bottom line. Um, I'm looking at marketing spend, how far that's going. Um, yep. Yeah, a few yep. different things. Yep. But that marketing spend is going back to how many you're selling. Yeah. Right. So then it's just it's a it's metrics to be able to sell more stuff, which is cool, and I support that. But what's missing is what is it actually doing? Mm-hmm. And every person will have For each individual. Experience. Yeah. With, with that. Exactly. Yeah. And the real world application of the guy who's doing meditation versus someone who's choosing to run versus someone who's doing plant-based versus someone looking at all these different strategies and then being able to group that together is where I think the shift in healthcare comes and evolves to then be able to guide people <laughs> with data what do you boys think i I was thinking uh when you talked about how um effectively you know you had a you had a voice um and you were thinking i don't mean i say this uh not with any negative connotation you're thinking critically about um you know the wide-ranging level of care that you're receiving and i think one of the difficulties for say an oncologist or or a treating doctor is that they base their, you know, their professional opinion and their clinical justification for what they do for you to help you on the best information that you can give them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, And on tracker, this is the, what I think is the genius of it is that it's good for everyone because if a patient is is actively collecting their own data about the quality of their sleep, the extent of their pain symptoms, and, and I know how broad the, the app is in terms of if you um, log on to it and you um, put in your, uh, your, your mental condition your, or your, you know, your physical condition, it, it has a range of questionnaires and things that you can do. And that's just so helpful for, for doctors, just as much as it is patients getting to know themselves. Oh man, hundred percent. And I think that you, you mentioned it so well, like when I was in that cancer world, 
And like people come to me with this debate, alternative versus conventional, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Like if there's someone I want in my team, it's my oncologist. Yeah. Because what he or she knows is the cancer. So I want to, I want to know a bit about that, but I don't want that to be my whole life because if cancer is your whole life, what do you got? Mm. So what do you, you say to cancer? people? And that's not, not a good outcome. What do you say to those that say that, well, what about the data that exists, the clinical research out there versus, say, an individualized approach where you're taking those scores for that person each day versus a controlled study or the data that might exist yeah, out there? Already? Awesome. I'd say, okay, let's have a look at how effective microdosing THC is going to be for a mood disorder. And then I'm going to say, let's do a lit review. And I'm going to see what comes back. And you're probably going to have one small study from Italy. And then we're going to say, but yeah, why isn't, THC and microdosing this talked about in terms of mental health. Why, what is even microdosing THC? Because there's no data there. And that's like fantastic. There's emerging and there's a massive need for clinical data, right? And there's no doubt about that. But we know that, you know, Deloitte's paper in 2018 about real world evidence and where this is going to be going in the future, you know, and how this can be an effective pathway to get drugs to market faster and cheaper. And the, yeah, the differences that can come up by utilizing real-world data. So it's not about one or the other. I think actually what it does is you complete and you know, what on tracker offers, which is unique, and here's a bit of a pitch. Um, sorry to do this live, but oh, we are launching, and I haven't said this, haven't said this to anyone, but it's really cool to kind of get it out. In our infrastructure, what's occurring is the capacity now to con conduct phase one to phase three clinical trials. Wow. Right. So what we've been able to do. And from our lessons and learning thus far is to not build new tools for researchers. We've now taken the gold standard in the research world and the tools that would be available to be able to monitor those studies, they're still able to utilize those same tools. But what we now offer is the UX and UI of OnTracker, which can be customized with different branding and the white labeling, et cetera, but also the, you know, the, it, is a, it is a good experience, you know, compare our app to, what else is out there in terms of ease and how you can boost retention by taking a study directly to the patient. Like that's a, as of a massive advantage. So we're kind of giving patients this unique experience here and then researchers what they're already used to because no one, you know, things are good that are new, but people don't want things which are super new. So mm. it's kind of like balancing that, but then you run a clinical trial through it. And if you were doing it the old way, because it is an old way that would then finish right and like myself is a perfect example i haven't been i'm still on a clinical trial but they don't know what i do in my life now if i could opt in would i of course i would because i want to be able to utilize what i'm doing to be able to support others to move forward so the capacity is then that rather than just finishing you know what we've got to think about is psychology as well and if you've been utilizing something to not forget the days that you take your medicine to be able to give your doctor better information. So when you walk in, you know you felt listened to and your doctor's like, okay, I've kind of seen what's going on for you so far and everything's going great and you're on track. See you next time. Like that's a really good patient. Sorry, yeah. No, I was just going to say, and for those who, you know, maybe haven't used the app yet, what kind of things do you gather? Like what are the, the or just give us a summary of, of the main kind of um, things that you're yeah. looking for. Everything in on tracker is a data point right? Everything is a data point. So what are we most interested in? It's cannabis medicines, right? But then also what we're interested in is the interactions with other medications. 
And the big thing that you need to be mindful of is what's the play? Is the play data or is the play patience? And if you're going to have a patient-centric lens, which we have, and our decision-making is what's best for patients, sometimes you've got to sacrifice the quality and how, you know, you've got to, you've got to make it harder for your desire and your, your team to be able to get that data. Because if you customise everything, the patient experience misses out because this isn't mine. Because what, what we know from software with patients and what we've been able to learn thus far, it needs to be personalised. Just like any programs in the real world, if we're going to have an impact with patients, it needs to be personalised and tailored to their life. So the tech needs to be as well. But if you do too much personalization, it makes it harder to get the data. Yeah. So that's that continual balance of we're very data, like we're a data company. There's no doubt about it, data and research, but it's patient-centric. And I think so, there's a good mix of qualitative and quantitative data points. 100%. So, yeah, it's a mix of qualitative and quantitative. Yeah. And we get cannabis, uh, interested in other medications, quality of sleep, biometrics. They're so looking at STEP, looking at HIV. You want to get different questionnaires as well. So we have validated questionnaires to be able to demonstrate what is actually going on for an individual, giving the patient super easy tools that make sense to their doctors. Uh, and then also looking at things like capturing seizures. So we have five different taps for parents in five taps to capture high level information about seizure activity for their child. Um, so to make that super easy to capture that information. And then we're going into more, we're expanding um, into this area, which is, which is going to be capturing the experience as well. So we're going to have a much richer data set because at the moment, what we're focusing on is those different areas. And we've got a dosing system that we launched. So it measures titration. So we're measuring titration and capturing before and after scores as well. And then allowing users to titrate up in a day because looking at the experience of a user. I know I'm talking way too much here. No, no, we, we um, love it. We love, love it. it. But, but when I listen to you speak about that, it, it does sound like it has far reaching applications. Like it could be well beyond cannabis. You, we could imagine, you know, as the, the psychedelic uh, kind of alternative therapies emerge, this could be used for, for psilocybin or MDMA or a multitude of different things. Well, let's think about this. In cannabis, there's a dosing problem. In psychedelics, there's a much bigger dosing problem. Yeah. So if we're solving a dosing problem, there's widespread utility. Yeah. Amazing. And so the other thing I wanted to ask you is, is around um, the analysis of, of this data. So in terms, is that something you're doing in-house? Is that something that you're gathering up and, and doing it with your team as well? So there's a number of different things that we do. We have different white labels that we have that is like an ecosystem of data in itself. So what OnTracker can do for other companies is do the R&D in many ways, right? Because if it's looking at product formulation, et cetera, the information is captured in the ecosystem, um, which is you know, de-identified, et cetera, goes to in these different white labeled ecosystems where no one else has access to that, but there's a license to that data. And it's good to be super transparent about it because it's, you know, in the, in the past data has been something that's dirty. So the best thing is to talk openly about what's kind of going on. Um, and then what our intentions are is to link up with an independent third party. So we're looking at a university first and foremost to independently go through some of our information and then release that. So what we're looking at is being at like super credible and, you know, we're agnostic in the industry. So what we really want to be able to do is pull out some insights and make that available and free 
so patients, prescribers and policymakers are able to then have a look at this data set. And we'll do that for a little bit of time before we consider what our options are moving forward and how valuable that it is. That's awesome, Chad. And just conscious of time, um, but I do want to say to everyone who's listening, if you haven't got the app, and I know there's plenty of people that do, but um, please, you know, just download it, have a look at it. I know even for somebody who's not taking any medications at the moment, you can still have the app and just use it to track your sleep, health, um, all those sorts of things, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure, definitely. And it just, it's based on an idea of asking yourself the question, particularly people, it's a perfect time in lockdown, right? Like we can all lose a bit of focus at times and you can, uncertainty can build up. And what's very important is to have a focus and to go, well, how am I feeling at the moment? Because if you have that awareness, you can take action. Because if you can kind of identify what's going on for you, you can then go, okay, well, what do I want to do about it? Well, no, it's, it's so exciting. We, um, we love the platform. Um, and one of the great things about having a, a tech entrepreneur um, on our show is that we can hopefully, if you've got time in, in, I don't know, three, six months down the track, we can check in with you and see how the platform is evolving. I know it's already been through so many upgrades. You very actively take on feedback from you know patients and everyone, and it's just this process of continuous improvement. Um, so we're really excited to see where it all goes. I know it's it's really taken on a life of its own. Uh, you've been great to to set aside some time. I don't know what what the heck time it is over in Peru right now, but um, <laughs> nearly bedtime. Or what's the situation? <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all oh, good. Right. I'm always. I know when Australia wakes up. So I do one day in the States and then I do my second day when Australia wakes up. So yeah, no, it's long days. well, yeah, thank you so much for um, jumping on the show. We'll, uh, we will endeavor to, to check in, I think in the months ahead. Um, I really want to hear more about how the platform's going um, to all our listeners. If you like what you're hearing, please hit like and subscribe wherever you're getting your podcast feed and you will get fresh Ultimate episodes when they drop. But for now, we say to our guest, Chad, take care. We will um, we'll speak again soon and, and all the very best with OnTracker. Awesome, awesome. Can I say one thing before we finish up? Of course you can, Chad. Chad. <laughs> I just want to say like, yeah, I know I've spoken fairly transparent about data and what it's done. And I think just to say, I'm so happy that that's, we need to have total transparency. So first and foremost, I'm happy that we've been able to dig into that. I appreciate the opportunity for us first and foremost. If anyone's got questions about what we do, please ask us Ask us in any way or bring us on for a debate or whatever needs to be done. And secondly, if you haven't looked at OnTracker or you have, go back and have another look with more curious eyes to see those updates as you've seen and give it a trial and see how you go. That would be the last thing. Sorry, boys. We love the uh, we love the transparent approach um, and the enthusiasm listener, and the enthusiasm. Our listeners, <laughs> a bit of energy, eh? Yeah, <laughs> Before we got started, we said, you know, can we ask you everything? Chad's like, ask away, fire away, anything. You know, ask me tough questions. So we love the transparency. We love the energy, um, and we'll be we'll be tapping back into that. I'm sure <laughs> in, our, in our next catch up, but. Yeah, we um we're just we're so excited for you. We're riding the the journey with you and yeah, we just can't wait to see where it all goes.
You're a billboard Thanks of so alternative therapies coming to fruition. So yeah. We might need to actually just get your photo on, uh, on the AltMed website. It's somewhere. <laughs> it's a beacon of health, but uh, no, thanks so much, Chad. We'll um, yeah, we'll speak again soon and, and all very best. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Cheers, Chad. Bye.